0: Well, if you have your Bible, turn to Daniel chapter 3, Daniel chapter 3, and while you're turning there, I just want to make an observation, uh, you know, we're kind of getting into summer and you know, kind of people are starting to think about camping and, you know, with the weather we had lately, I mean, that's great. One thing that I love about camping is the fire, there's just something about sitting around a campfire. Right? I mean, think about it. The, the crackling sound that it makes is soothing. The, the, the light that it puts off, that flicker, is just beautiful. Uh, the, the heat is, is relaxing to us. It, it calms us down. In fact, I'm just going to give a little aside here, uh, a little bit about me. I think the best part about a campfire is lighter fluid. Some people call me a pyromaniac, and you know. But as, as much as we enjoy fires, there's one thing about fire that, that we cannot overlook, and that is as much as we enjoy them, they have a destructive element as well, don't they? For example, in an uncontrolled house fire, all of a sudden the, the crackling that we once enjoyed all of a sudden becomes terrifying. The, the light that was so beautiful, is foul. And the, the heat that we used to think was relaxing is now unbearable. Fire is oftentimes seen that way. And that's no wonder that when we describe our worst sufferings, we describe the trials that we face in life, we describe them using that metaphor of fire. And today in Daniel 3, we have... Uh, not just a metaphorical fire, we have a very real fire that three men are thrown into because they refuse to bow to idols. They refuse to bow down to idols. And I think that the thing that we're going to see highlighted here is the trust that these three men had in God. They knew, number one, that God could deliver them. And number two, they knew that maybe God and His wisdom would not deliver them the way that they thought He would. But they trusted in God's deliverance. They trusted in God's wisdom. And that's the same for us here. Thousands of years later, the message for us is exactly the same. Our God is able to deliver us. But sometimes that deliverance may not look like we think that it will. Join with me as we read Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 8. Please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word together. Therefore, at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O King, live forever! You, O King, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre... The trijan, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Now there are certain Jews who you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, tries on the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it usually was heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Y'all watch this. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did, not, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire, watch this, had not any power over their bodies, the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and <coughs> set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I will make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you. That your word tells us of your great power to save. Your great power to deliver. And Father, your great wisdom that is above our wisdom and knowledge. Father, I pray as we, as we approach your word today. That we would be like these men. That we would not let outside pressures turn us to idolatry. That we would be faithful And that we would trust you fully. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, like any good narrative, I think you can can break this thing into scenes. And if if we were to do that, scene one, we would have to call malicious accusations. Because that's what's happening in the beginning uh, where we picked up in verse 8. Verse 8 tells us that some of the Chaldeans were coming... And maliciously accusing the Jews. Now, the Chaldeans were magicians and enchanters. These folks were the ones who typically were in power, and uh, they were malicious, most likely, because they were angry that Nebuchadnezzar had set Jews over Babylon. They wanted to get ahead themselves. Remember, these Jews are exiles. These Jews are taken into exile into Babylon and while they're there, because of their faithfulness and because God is blessing them, they rose in uh, all that they did. For example, at the end of chapter 2 of Daniel, we read after Daniel interprets uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he gets promoted. It says in verse 48, Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. So there's those three men again. That's how they got to where they were. They uh, were appointed at Daniel's request over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. So here are these three men. They're being promoted In just such a way, and and the Chaldeans are looking on and they're saying, This just doesn't seem right to us. Here, these outsiders are coming in and, and they're they're getting all the glory, they're getting all the promotions, and so they're angry. And so when the king sets up an idol and and declares that when the music plays, everyone falls down and worships it, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, probably along with many Jews, do not do this. Chaldeans realize this is the chance that we have been waiting on. And so they go and maliciously accuse these men because they do not bow down to idols. And listen, that's noteworthy right there that they did not bow down. Can you imagine the enormous pressure that these men were under to bow? It was a simple thing one compromise and everything would be okay. You know, I wonder if if people were going to maliciously accuse us, the people of God, for not bowing to idols. I wonder if they'd have any evidence to bring before the king. Because, you know, we think of ourselves as, you know, oh, well, nobody's putting up a statue. Nobody's putting up an idol for us to bow down to. But we all face idols. It may be ambition. It may be money. It may be sports. It even may be good things like family. Relationships. Whatever these idols are that we elevate in our lives. That we give all of our affection. All of our time. All of our money to. And the question for us. If we are Christians. The question for us is. Will we be faithful to God even when there's pressure on us to bow to idols will we be faithful when, when we are pressured to act a certain way when we look around us and everyone around us is acting talking, behaving differently than what God says will we be faithful? when we are uh, will we remain faithful to God with Things like how we surf the internet. Will we remain faithful to God in our sexual purity? When everyone around us is is saying that everything is okay, will we remain faithful to God and say, I'm not going to bow down to this idol? Listen, when everyone around us is, is pursuing wealth, when everyone around us is pursuing ambition, will we be faithful to God and say, Lord, I am yours? Before I belong to anyone else, would there be any evidence against us if we were to be maliciously accused? Or when, when when the world looks at us from the outside, do we look exactly like the rest of the Babylonians who are bowing to this idol? So they are maliciously accusing the Jews, they're maliciously accusing these men, and notice they twist the facts. You know, they don't go to the king and say, well, King Nebuchadnezzar, we know that you declared this, that you decreed this. And these three men, because of their religious beliefs, uh, just don't think that it's good to do that. They're going to worship their God. Notice they don't say that, do they? They twist the facts and make it all about how they are violating what Nebuchadnezzar said. Notice uh, what they say at the end of verse 12. These men pay no attention to you, They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. In other words, they twist the facts and instead of presenting the truth to the king, they're telling the king, Nebuchadnezzar, these men are violating you personally. They are attacking these men. They are attacking these men. So Nebuchadnezzar, of course, becomes angry. He becomes furious. And he summons these men to answer the accusations. Now, as we move into scene two, I would call this scene full of faith. This is the scene where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, with courage, with faith, with conviction, answer the king. And as they go into the king's presence, he calls for obedience. He tells them, you know, if the music plays and you bow down, well and good. No big deal. We'll just write off what the other men have said. But if you don't, he tells them what awaits them: A fiery furnace. And notice what Nebuchadnezzar says. This, this is just so telling about how he believes. He says, "Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands?" You know what Nebuchadnezzar is saying? He's saying, Hey, the God that you serve, where is He now? I'm going to throw you into the fire, and there is no God on the earth who can deliver you out of my hand. And certainly, you have to imagine that these men believed it. That they were tempted to say, I don't think He can deliver us. But notice what they say. They respond with absolute courage. Look at verse 16. They say, we don't have to answer you. We don't have to answer you. These men know there is only one person they answer to and it is not this king. This reminds me when the Lord Jesus Himself, He's sending out His disciples and He tells them in Matthew 10, 28, don't fear the one who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, Fear Him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. He's saying, hey, there's only one person that we have to answer to, and it's God Himself. Before we answer to any authority figures that God has given us, we have to realize we answer to Him. And so they say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't don't have to answer you in this matter. We don't have to give a defense. And notice what they say next. Verse 17. Verse 17. This is the grounds for their courage. This is why they're so courageous in standing up to the king. Our God is able to deliver us. Wow. They are facing literally the most powerful man on earth who is threatening to throw them in the fire if they do not bow down and they say, King, we're not going to have to answer to you. We're not going to defend ourselves. Our God is able to deliver us. King Nebuchadnezzar, you may say that there's no God on earth who could rescue us from this. But I'm here to tell you, Nebuchadnezzar, that I serve a God who can deliver us. And listen, this is so relevant to us today. Listen, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the baggage you came in here this morning with. You might be going through the darkest of nights in your life. You might be facing sickness. You may be facing cancer. You may be facing death in your family. You might be facing an unknown future. You might be walking through the fire. You might be at the end of the rope. You might feel like you're at the end of your line. But I'm here to tell you, based on what we see here, all that we know for certain is that our God is able to deliver us. That's why Cory 10 Boom says, Don't be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Don't be afraid to trust an unknown future to a God that you do know. These men are saying, we know that God can deliver us. We know that He can bring us out of of your hand. I want you to see something in verse 18. Something that makes their faith so deep and genuine. Something that as we read through, we we look over verse 18. We, We see these men walking before the king and saying, we know God's going to deliver us. Throw us in the fire. We'll take it. We skip verse 18. Look at what it says. It's them speaking to the king. Verse 18. They say, let me get in the right. But if not, But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. This is what they're saying. They're saying, Nebuchadnezzar, we know 100%, we're fully convinced God can deliver us out of your hand. But we trust God so much that we trust his wisdom and know that he may not do it. Nebuchadnezzar, we know that our God can deliver us and you may throw us in that fire, and we may burn up. God in His wisdom may choose not to deliver us in the way that we expect, but notice what they say, even still, our allegiance is to this God, and not to you. Listen, there's so many times in our life where we think, God, we know that You can deliver, we know that You can heal, we know You can bring me out of this fire, and God says, yes, But in my wisdom, I'm going to allow you to go through it. I'm going to allow you to go through it. You know, a few years ago, on uh, just the other day, uh, March 1st, 2012, we received a phone call that Brittany's uncle was in a very horrific motorcycle accident and that he was being airlifted to LSU in Shreveport. So... We lived, in Grant, <clears throat> we lived in Grant Parish at the time, and so we jumped in the car, and off we went to Shreveport. We arrived there about the same time that he did. We stayed at the hospital all night. We made, after that night, we made frequent trips up there. They saved his life. We knew he was going to live, even though he had a traumatic brain injury, but he was unconscious. The doctor said he's probably not going to wake up. And I remember we were praying there. So many people came to see the family and, and prayed, and they they all prayed. Lord, we know that you can deliver. So deliver, Lord. We know that you can heal. So heal, Lord. And as the days turned into weeks, it started looking like that wasn't what, what was going to happen. And now, you know, looking back on that event, you know, they say hindsight, hindsight's twenty twenty. Looking back on that time of uncertainty, it reminds me of Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I, I, I look back on that time of uncertainty and realize God knows what's best. And sometimes God may not bring deliverance like we think that He will. And even when He doesn't, even when He doesn't, will we still trust Him? Will we still say, I'm still not going to bow down to idols. Lord, my allegiance is still to You. You're still my treasure. I may not understand why, but Lord, I am Yours. Now, in Brittany's uncle's case, he grant deliverance against all odds. He did heal him. And I think what we see in every case of deliverance in our lives, anytime God brings us out of the fire, there's always a purpose. And in this case, we see the purpose at the end of chapter 3 is to bring glory to God. So if you were to call scene 3, I mean, I would call it, Delivered for God's glory. Delivered for God's glory. So they refused to bow down. Nebuchadnezzar became furious. He ordered that the furnace be heated seven times hotter. Now scholars look at that and they say, well, that's probably just metaphorical, seven being the number of completion. It's probably just the text's way of saying, Nebuchadnezzar ordered that that furnace be heated as hot as it would possibly go. And maybe even a little hotter. It says it was overheated. You know, it's it's ironic that this, this, this furnace is being heated probably to the level of anger that Nebuchadnezzar felt towards these men. And the irony in it, notice that as the guards grab them and throw them into it, who ends up dying? The guards die. The soldiers die. It's ironic that Nebuchadnezzar can't even save his men when God saves his. Most powerful man on earth versus God, look who wins. Look who wins. He orders them thrown into the furnace. And then they look in, and what do they see? Nebuchadnezzar says, Well, didn't we throw three men in there? You didn't throw you didn't throw an extra criminal in there, did you? There was just three, right? Yeah, there, there's just three, King. I see four men in there. And the, the fourth one, he looks like he's like a son of one of the gods. Here's, the, here's what's so important about that. Here's what's so meaningful about that. That son of the gods, some argue is Jesus, others argue is just an angel. I don't think it really matters for us who it is. What really matters is God was present with them in the fire he was with them it reminds me of hebrews 13:5 never will i leave you never will i forsake you it reminds me of jesus in the great commission matthew 28 and lo i am with you always here's what's beautiful about that is that god never let's just go through a fire that He is not willing to go with us through. You know, sometimes God in His infinite wisdom may allow us to go into the fire, but He always carries us into it and He always carries us out of it for His purposes. I don't, I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what you're, what you're coming in here with, but this is what I can tell you. God is with you. We may question why. We may wonder why God would let us go through this. Why, God, if you're good, would you send us through the fire? And all the while he's saying, you know what? I'm not a God who's just sending you through the fire. I'm a God who's going through the fire with you. And I'm just curious, how do we know that he's going to do that? How do we know that he's going to go through the fire with us? Well, I want to call your attention to A different narrative in the Bible. A different deliverance. Where God delivers His people ultimately from their greatest enemy. And I'm talking of course about Christ. We were lost. And headed for eternal destruction in hell. And yet, despite the lostness of the world. God sent Jesus to die in our place. He paid the penalty that we deserve for our sins. And what that means is, as he hung on the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what we see in that moment is that Jesus was forsaken by God, so that if we're in him, we'll never have to be. We see the ultimate rejection by God happening on the cross so that if we're in Jesus, if we're following Him, we can know that He is always with us. And listen, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, what we're talking about here is for people who are in Christ. These promises are for those who have trusted Him by received the gift of salvation. And for you, if you're here this morning and that's not you, I'm not just saying this is for other people beside you. I'm saying, Won't you come and join us in this? Will you come and be delivered today from your sin? Will you come and be delivered today from your guilt? Will you come and receive the promise that He will be with you always? The last thing we see in the text is what happens. The results. The very end of of chapter 3. We see that when they pull the men out, the fire had no effects on them at all. You know what that tells us? God's deliverance is comprehensive. It's complete. God didn't just deliver them a little bit. They pulled those guys out of the fire and nothing was singed. Nothing was burned. They didn't even smell like smoke. When God delivers us, such as on the cross, our ultimate deliverance. He doesn't deliver us just a little bit. He doesn't just deliver us and say, well, I'll forgive you, but now you got to earn your keep. He doesn't deliver us and say, well, now you've got to work hard so you can earn your way in. No, He says, you come to Me, and I'll get you in. You come to Me, find deliverance in Me, and let me tell you, you'll find all your sins are forgiven and you'll find that you don't have to work to earn God's favor that you already have it in Christ. Second thing we see is that Nebuchadnezzar blesses God and he passes a decree declaring throughout all the that if you curse the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you're to be put to death. I think it's interesting that a pagan king who is polytheistic, worships many gods, sees this and says, if you curse this God. He changes. He says, not if you curse my God that I built. If you curse their God, you're to be put to death. And the final thing we see is that Nebuchadnezzar promotes them. He praises God and then he promotes the people. Listen, God delivered them out of the fire For a purpose. And listen, God God sends us through the fire for a purpose. He doesn't do it because He's a killjoy. He doesn't do it because He hates us. Rather, He does it because He loves us. He does it because going through the fire brings Him glory. And that glory is our good. God glorifies Himself through the trials that we go through, and and that is where we find our greatest joy. God's glory and our joy, they're not opposite of each other. They're actually one and the same. When God is glorified in us, we're satisfied. That's what we're after if we're in Christ. We want to make His name great. We love and treasure Him so much that we want Him to be glorified. So we see in this passage malicious accusations. Would there be enough evidence to accuse us? Are we being faithful to God? We see uh, that these men are full of faith. Do you trust in God's ability to deliver you? Do you trust in His wisdom, that that deliverance may differently? And finally, we, were, we see that they were delivered for God's glory. We can have joy through suffering because we know that God's plan is best for us. That He is going to be glorified. Our God is able to deliver us. But sometimes that deliverance may look different than what we expect. I love the old hymn, How Firm a Foundation. It begins by telling us how firm a foundation you saints of the Lord has laid up for you in His most excellent Word. The last verse of the hymn is the soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose. I will not, I will not desert To his foes. Listen to this. That soul. Us. Though all hell should endeavor to shake. I will never. No never. No never. Forsake. Church I'm here to tell you today. Not just that our God can deliver us. Not just that that deliverance. May look differently than we expect. But I'm here to tell you today. That the ultimate deliverance for us. Has already happened. And because that ultimate deliverance has happened for us. We can simply say he's with us always. There will never be a time where he will forsake me. There will never be a time. As we think about responding to this. Christian in the room, listen. We, as we respond to this, are we full of that faith? Are we faithful to God? Some of you this morning may need to renew that faith. Some of you this morning may need to simply say, God, I'm having so much trouble trusting you right now. And I need your help to trust you. Lord, I trust You to deliver me, but Lord, sometimes I don't trust Your wisdom. Would You help me? And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, for you this morning, we invite you. Very simply, we invite you to come and receive. We don't want you to stay where you are. We want you to know and see the transforming work of Christ that we see evidence in our lives. And so in just a moment, if that's you, If you have questions, as I'm standing down front, I'd love to talk to you. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful that you are able to deliver us. And Lord, more than your ability, we know your great wisdom. And God, we know that all this is going to happen we know that you can deliver us because we've seen Lord that you already have Lord I think about what I once was I think about how far you have brought me by your grace and Lord if you can do that I know that any fire that I go through you'll be with me and deliver me And so, Lord, today, would you, in light of your goodness that we've just read about, would you cause us, Lord, to treasure you? Help us, Lord, to treasure you. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, for when we don't follow that example or we are not faithful to you. And in a world, Lord, where there's so much pressure on us, help us to be faithful. Help us to not bow a knee to an idol. In Jesus' name.